Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me for a very special edition of Fantasy MLB today. It is 500. I have somehow gone on 500 different days of this show now at this point. I cannot even believe it, but I wanted to say off the top, thank you to all of you who have been here, from if you've come from the beginning or if you found me along the way somewhere, everybody who has come on the show uh, anybody who has shared it out through links on Twitter or anywhere else, uh, I really appreciate all the support. I could not do it without you guys. We have a couple of very special guests on the show to help me celebrate today. Eno Saris and Nick Pollock. Eno's first time on the show. Nick has been here a few times, but I wanted to get them together here to celebrate this milestone episode. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. Congrats, man. 500. Yeah. That well is. Done. Oh, my gosh. They say that it's not real podcast until you have 10. So 500 is unbelievable. Really, that's such an achievement. Congrats, Joe. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Doing one every single day, they just kind of they kind of rack up and they you kind of forget after a while. They yeah. just kind of rack up on you. But 100 weeks, five episodes every single week. Uh, here we are after two plus Amazing. years of doing this now. But we have Eno and Nick here. So we are going to be talking about their specialty we're going to be talking about second baseman going after pick 700. Yes. You guys can target. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are, of course, going to be talking about starting pitcher rankings. We have rankings that have come out just yesterday from Nick. Eno's came out last week. Mine are going to be coming out probably next week, um, maybe the week after. I'm still fine-tuning a couple things, but we have 10 pitchers, actually nine pitchers, that we are going to be discussing here in depth in a minute i do want to give you guys a chance just in case anybody has been living under a rock and they've crawled out under to listen to this show let them know what you got going on Eno. let's start with you uh i've got a bay area beer guide coming out uh pretty soon uh that's what i'm working on right now because there's a beer gala uh friday night that i'm gonna Ooh. attend that'll be fun um and then our draft kit is coming out soon so i've uh, put together uh my five young uh breakout starting pitchers and next come my five deep uh starting pitchers so all that stuff's coming out in the next couple of weeks over the at the athletic absolutely go follow eno on twitter at eno saris you probably already are but in case you aren't uh, go follow him over there you'll get all of his work mr pollock what is going on at pitcher list uh well first and foremost i'm doing a podcast with this guy somehow <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, i forgot you know that. because i mean it's because of joe by the way the craft exists uh from a conversation in first pitch arizona uh so thank you joe uh for making that happen and then you know sitting down to me like you want to do a podcast i'm like what <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so yeah we're doing that which is pretty fun we have a third episode now out uh and actually we were going to talk about justin verlander today but we talked about him for like 20 minutes there so we felt uh we should talk about someone else here today but 
Yeah, just put out my top 400. Um, too many words. Split them all up so it doesn't crash on your phone. Try hard. Sorry. Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> if I'm going to do one thing, I got to do it better than anyone else, right? Or at least more words than anyone else. That's preposterous. I don't do beer things. I don't do bitter <laughs> things. Okay? I This is it. Uh, so we've got that. We also have our new PLV stats coming out. Um, we have already mistake rate on the site right now, which is amazing. We have striker that is strike minus ICR rate coming out next week. We have career data next week too on our player pages. We did a reorganization of a lot of the stats to make them better for you. So I uh, definitely check out our player pages. I think every single year we just constantly make it better and better and more helpful for you. So uh, that's a really fun thing that we're doing right now. Um, but yeah, just excited. It's fantasy baseball season. Let's go. Absolutely. Pitcher list is a, is a go-to site. Uh, it's become more of a go-to every, every single month. I use it more and more as I get more used to the player pages, still using fan graphs, uh, but both of those sites are definitely where you should be going to check everything out. I still can't believe that a random conversation that Eno and I happen to have, <laughs> I think we were outside walking over to listen to Bubba and the bloom. And it was just a random thought about you two doing a podcast together. And here we are a few months later. I'm glad I could play a very tiny role in that all coming together. Uh, but it's great to have you both here. Uh, it's great to talk some pitching. Pitching is obviously the specialty of everybody in the room. Obviously, me much less uh, than these two guys. But pitching is still what I what I tend to to focus on more so than 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 uh, position players. I used to be a pitcher myself, so that's where I I tend to focus on, and it usually is quote unquote specialty of mine. So let's get into it. Let's talk all of these pitchers that we have slight different rankings of. Uh, I try to go where there's at least a five or 10 spot difference between us. And I was thinking that the guy who is the biggest outlier between us will start off. We're going to start off with Bobby Miller. Eno and I are fairly close in our rankings. Bobby Miller is 19th for Eno, 21st for me. And Nick has him all the way up at 13. Nick, justify this. He's nearly an SP1 for you. What are you seeing in Bobby Miller? Is it the stuff? What is it exactly? Okay, hold on a second. I just want to make sure we're clear here. This is not going to be one of those justifications of like, I'm right, you're wrong. I don't do that. What I do is say, Eno, I don't understand how I'm six spots higher than you still. I just don't get it. This is Eno's guy, not mine. Uh, so, no, I'm just, uh, look, last year when he came up, I actually remember talking about all of the young pitchers and just saying, Bobby Miller is going to be the one I want the most next year. Uh, he's just the most complete one. He has everything you'd want from high velocity to good pitch shape on it as well. A fantastic situation in Los Angeles. Uh, a devastating slider that has yet to actually be as effective or at least uh, reach the potential that we think it will. Um, a curveball that he throws for strikes. There's also a developing changeup in there too that actually at times has been really good. It was a low strike rate last year, but the games that it actually was utilized well, it's beautiful. Uh, it's it's just a complete package and with a very high floor, I think, of performance, especially given how effective those fastballs are. Uh, he could be throwing more high four seamers and it should be that way. I don't know why the Dodgers are just like, yeah, high four seamers. We're not with that. I see this consistently across their uh, their pitchers, which is kind of strange to me. Um, the slider should improve, get more strikeouts there. The biggest pushback I've seen about Bobby Miller, which is very reasonable is the expected workload considering we all anticipate a six-man rotation in, in Los Angeles. I'm willing to wager that Bobby Miller is the one that actually throws the most innings for the Dodgers this year. As you have Yamamoto on a 10-year deal now and who's not acclimated, I think, as much as Bobby Miller is, who was pretty much just let loose last year um, in the rotation. And now it's the year that we normally expect him to just go every five days. You have Tyler Glasnow's sister. You have 
Walker Buehler being uh, stunted at the beginning and or stinted, whatever you want to use there. Regardless, I kind of see a situation where Bobby Miller is just kind of like coasting the entire season and has a much better striker rate than I think the 23, 24% he had last year. I just think it's so safe and uh, I'm a big fan of it. So are you buying the projections, which are generally like a three, eight kind of ERA? Does that sound right to you? Or do you think he's actually better? I guess based on your ranking, you think he's probably going to surpass that. I have such a weird thing with projections where like, I think at the top levels, I'm always higher. And then at the bottom levels, I'm always lower. Uh, So like three, eight to me, I would honestly be dissatisfied with that uh, projections for Bobby Miller. I just think he's too good to do that. You know, what do you think of that projection 3-8? And also, I know you've been doing some early uh, some early drafts. Bobby Miller's going around pick 72-73. Does that feel too rich to you, or does that feel about right? I haven't gotten a share yet because um, it, it's a weird it's a weird spot in the draft because uh, I've been I sort of identified a top five that I think, you know, uh, in starting pitching, and then I'm not always like reaching for my, I'm not always like going for my second starting pitcher yet, or I get, or I like wait and I get two before him. So I haven't, I just, just the way snake drafts work, I haven't gotten one. I want to get one or two. I said at uh, the, uh, I said at first pitch that I wanted to, I think something I said, like I wanted to crack him open and smear him all over my chest. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I was just yeah, that's excited. exactly what it was. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was very excited about Bobby Miller for all the reasons that you said. We have been working with projections uh, with Jordan Rosenblum that use Stuff Plus and uh, have got a 349 uh, projection on him. And more importantly, or as importantly, a, a 25% strikeout rate, uh, just below a 25% strikeout rate, which is not, it was, I think it's the big thing he didn't show last year, but he did show in the minors. I think that's coming. For me, the only reason he was down there, and he's actually currently now 16th because these things move around as as uh, the season approaches. Um, the only reason I was worried was innings, um, and I can buy what Nick is saying, but I will say that uh, the Dodgers' leader in innings last year was Clayton Kershaw with 130 innings. So yeah. Bobby Miller could lead the Dodgers in innings this year. He could coast relative <laughs> uh, to other Dodgers. He could be the main guy and he could get 140 innings. Sure. Which in today's environment is okay. But, uh, you know, my top 10, I think uh, the lowest I've got um, is 186 uh, projected from Pablo Lopez. Um or 185 from uh, from Spencer Strider. So I kind of expect a little bit more from a top 10 guy. That's just why he hasn't gotten all the way to top 10. Yeah, I'm I'm just a little bit down on him, I guess, relative to... I, I, the price is really what, what brings me down. In terms of where I have him ranked, I, I have him below Snell. I have him below Scooble, Grayson Rodriguez, Zach Allen. I, I just don't feel as confident with Miller. I think part of it is the six-man rotation, and maybe it's 130, 140 innings, but at the price I'm paying for him, it's SP2, uh, and 130 innings where the strikeout rate is good, but even 25%, you know, I can I can outdo that with Grayson, with Tariq Skubal, with with Blake Snell, with a lot of those guys in that range, I think. True. Nick is Nick is calling me out, but uh, let's hear it, Nick. Let's hear it. Why, why are we saying 130 innings for Bobby Miller? 
Well, six man rotation. And that does that? not mean 130 innings. Okay, but what is it realistic? Okay, so like let's, let's, let's just 50? play this game. This is the game I like to play. Like 32 starts is a five expected five man with six innings. Okay, so like that would let's just say that that would be about 192. Okay, okay. so then you essentially say 20 percent less than that or something, right? Because it's like uh, so it's like really closer to like 150 is what you're saying. Uh, for Bobby Miller, if you're saying it's a six man all the way oh, through, I'm below the oh, 180s or whatever. I understand that. Just want to say 130 is another level underneath, okay. and that's not the case. That's here. more Tyler Glass now, right? And that's <laughs> re- that's really 100. Then let's be honest, 120 is pretty high. <laughs> uh, but 100, um, oh, sorry, six man rotations. The quote I like to say um, is six man rotations are like the Fellowship of the Ring. Starts off with grand ambitions with lots of people, and it ends with two guys barely surviving. So. We've before done this in fantasy where we expect a six man all of a sudden is just gone in the drop of a hat. There are times when it does actually stick around and it might very, it might very well with the Dodgers. They also have some depth options that they can throw in to figure out that six that they really want to stick with it. Yeah. It's not so much uh, a six man rotation. It's just like everybody gets rest and there's always, right. there's always a new announced starter, you know, but randomly on some just, I think 150 is kind of like the floor of Bobby Miller is my point. Um, like I don't, I don't see any reason for us to not expect that right now from Bobby Miller. I projected 162, so like you know, I'm not expecting 130, but I'm just the, the 130 was who led the Dodgers last year. Right. That's where we, the, where we got the 130. From. Other the other point is, I put out a tweet at the beginning of this offseason saying 15 of the top 31 starters by ADP last year did not make 25 starts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like that's mm, okay. Uh, that th- really like when we're uh you know to, to interpret that it's like maybe i should cover tyler glass now now because of the the injury stuff but i when i'm looking Doesn't at also making all starters healthy guys that are gonna give right you and like bobby miller to me is generally the product of like of like what we see is like cool this is like the rookie ready to stretch out is generally mm. good health right that's that's cool with us as opposed to the guys who just had that massive workload and then might come back down or something right i mm. uh, that generally has me just feel so confident. Like I get Bobby Miller. I feel great through the year. I don't feel like, oh man, oh, I'm dealing with a six man rotation or I'm dealing with like, cool. Every week I just put in Bobby Miller nice and safe with possibility of being far better than he was last year in both strikeouts and ratios. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. You got to love the team context, the Dodgers, even if it is, you know, a, a lower number of innings, you're getting you know, the per inning loveliness of, of Miller himself. Plus, you're probably going to get more wins than you would from the average guy in that range. The guys that I mentioned, the Scoobles, the, the Graysons, you're probably going to see at least as many, if not more, wins from Miller. So I, I see where you're coming from, for sure. Let's move on, though, and let's put my friendship with Nick in jeopardy while talking about Cole Reagans. I'm low on Reagans, for sure. I have him I have him at number 40 right now, and I'm probably going to have to reevaluate after this conversation. Nick has him up at 14. Eno has him at 28. We're all over the board on, on Reagans. My thing is that we're dealing with such a small sample size. He had a schedule down the stretch that was pretty favorable, I, I would say. You're seeing Chicago, uh, the White Sox, you're seeing Pittsburgh, Oakland, uh, you know, not the, the greatest schedule, I would say. And we did see him kind of fall off at the end in terms of the control. We saw six walks against Toronto in that weird start where he was doing the Rick and Keel routine. We saw a couple of starts to end the season where he had four walks apiece. There's definite upside, but there's also the fact that he's 
you know, a very small sample size pitcher in Kansas City that I, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of wins or great control from him. So there's just a lot of red flags for me. 40 might be too low. But Nick, I'd want to apologize for this because I know this is a brutal one. But I always want you to be honest with me. Always be honest with me. I never I don't want you to, to sugarcoat things with me. No, I respect you. You respect me. Right. Uh, and I have the emotional maturity to handle it. But also, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I look like with Reagan's. I get it. I really do. There's so much risk. There's all the things that we see that are like, oh, man, come on. Um, I don't know if you saw I was doing the Bernie Sanders finger weight wag at you. When you're talking about the strength of schedule, because if there's anything I did last year is I hosted a watch party for every single Cole Reagan's game. And I'll be the first one to tell you about like it wasn't about the quality of opponent like that guy was if he was doing his thing didn't matter. And then it's not really the, the other the opponent really what did happen uh, in that was that there was like a he was mad about the mound yeah the... so the mound was really bad with toronto you know as you watch that game in toronto yeah of course uh and really he had three walks at the end of it he should have been pulled before the inning anyway this happened twice also I mean, those, were, Yastro, those were not like pulled again pitches those were just like something yeah went that's wrong. just yeah. completely messed up and then i yeah. uh, and then he had a situation against houston where he went six innings i ended the stream i thought he was done and then he came out on the seventh or like, why is that like 95 pitches right now? What are you doing? And then he walks like two guys or something allows mm. actually, I think three guys all get on and then he gets pulled. They wait three to do. It. I don't, I have no idea what's going on. I mean, it's just little things like that. Kansas and that's City. fine. That doesn't, honestly, that doesn't really matter for the discourse of Cole Reagan's because it's about, look, it's a small sample size. Can he do that again? All of it. I originally was thinking I was going to put him down to like 23, 24 or so. And I put him inside of the uh, the risky aces tier. Like, I, I'm all about groupings. I even say in the thing, like, look, Kyle Bradish, honestly, good case for him to be actually be my own. Right 11. next to Michael King for me. You know, <laughs> Kyle Bradish or Cole Reagans? Cole Reagans. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I uh, and also I actually noted to myself that when I do when I talk to players, like I did the Cole Reagans interview, that I I try to even swing the pendulum the other way. Because I know that in some way I'm going to believe more about this guy or I'm going to really feel like, oh, no, this is good. And it's just because I haven't talked to everybody. If I talk to everybody, then like I would, you know, they always are going to have faith in what they do and stuff and whatever. Like, of course. So I even tried to push it down further. However, the one thing I keep going back to in my head is there was a picture I did this for before where I, I, I saw how good they were. It wasn't a good sample. They deserved the su success that they had. And. Uh, I, I said, yep, the schedule wasn't there. He was just so precise with it or whatever it was. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And I pushed him too far down and got too burned for it. And that guy was Corbin Burns. And after that 2020 season where he came in and started and he was just so good and he deserved all that success. But we said no too risky to, you know, we don't know if this is real opponent. All of this, he was so bad before, et cetera, et cetera. And he made fools of all of us. And I went back to what have I done in the past of when I've been like super in on a guy and I've been burned by it and I overlooked some things like I remember I hope no one else remembers this I get mentioned to it inside my by my staff but like the Zach Godley uh, situation where he was so good for one year and then it wasn't very good I got I always think about that one Nick you were too aggressive Nick Pavetta in the past um, which has changed a little this year for other reasons Graham Ashcraft for me Gra Ashcraft sure I get right but it's like I uh, but with Reagan's I called him the unicorn last year because of just, I don't see this. I don't see a guy with five pitches that he commands and executes as he should, right? He is absolutely someone who has an, an approach with all of them. And I actually expected to go into this interview hearing him just come, but yeah, whatever the catcher kind of puts down or, 
you know, I'm really just figuring this stuff out. I don't really know. No, it is unbelievably locked in. He has a notebook. Like him yeah. and Pablo both have notebooks of remembering all these things. Like, this is what I do against this guy. And I told him, I was like, I gotta say, man, how why do you love three two change up so much? I love that you love it. And he started laughing. Is like, you know, it's like, oh, you caught me kind of thing, right? Like, oh man, I didn't realize anyone else noticed that because that's how he thinks, and it's exactly the right way to the success, right? And I understand the the walk stuff that happened in the end of the year. Yep, that was weird. That was strange. I I understand there is an injury ding because of his long track record with Tommy John, which really was just like three years recovering from one Tommy John. I also understand two, the increased yeah. velocity. Um, it was one and a half. He was rehabbing from the first one was revision, yeah. right? Which I think is a completely different thing than like you getting it pitching and then like, oh, I got to get it again. Right. You know, that is to me, that's why I call it one and a half. And he actually called it one and a half. I was like, yes. <laughs> um, in my terrible graphic of it, I actually put Tommy John, the player, and then half of Tommy John uh, <laughs> inside my Cole Reagan's graphic for PitchCon. Um, but anyway, to end this long ramble, I, I just see someone who is there and present and very much uh, doing the right things when it comes to flexibility too and adapting with it, working with a good organization and tread that has certainly helped him. And I just think he's too good. I think this is not like a fluke. You don't, it can't be that good for so long in that in that season, that stretch, and just goes away. I don't believe that. So I'm in. You know, I know you're not quite as in. You're still you're still fairly in. Um, but it doesn't sound like based on where you have him ranked. Maybe you've moved him around since, but based on where you have him ranked, 110 ADP sounds like you're not going to be getting into the Cole Reagan's business much this year. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because I do like him a lot, and I, I, I don't know. I just have a hard time pushing ahead of the guys, guys ahead of him. And the reason is just mathematical. Like, you yeah. know, we have projections based on stuff plus, and they project a 440 ERA for him. I don't know why. I actually don't know why. I don't know why. He's in a good I actually part. Know why. Why? Because it's the same thing that kind of happened with us. Like, PLV doesn't love its changeup. It but doesn't love its changeup. Yeah, I was going right. to go there. I was going to say. And, uh, and it's, but thing is, you told me exactly the thing that has me more in. He has five pitches. Yeah, he has five pitches. He and he he has he doesn't have above average command on on all of them. It's the slider and the four seam uh, that for us uh, popped with above average command, but near average on all, um, and and great stuff on a bunch of them. And the changeup, which are the stuff plus model doesn't love, which stuff plus is based on the physical characteristics of the pitches. Um, you know, it has only like a sort of averageish velocity gap and and movement differential off of his fastball, but it had like a it gave up like a point oh eighty average last year. Like nobody hit it, and so yeah. at some point, there's some point where the results matter more than the model, and he's right, kind of at the nexus of that. It's not a big sample. Stuff plus kills it in really tiny samples, but he's not a really tiny sample. He pitched for a half a season so, so he's somewhere in between where the results matter more and the modeling matters more and so i i pushed him like if you look at my rankings he has the highest e projected era of anybody i think in the top yeah you have to go down to you have to go down to the 50 merrill kelly at 50 to get another 440 and and so i and i have cole Reagan's at 30 so i i pushed him <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's weird when you like push someone and you love someone and then you look at the market and you're like, whoa, 
I guess I don't love him. So that's that's just been my Cole Reagans experience. So like I really like him. Like, but if I'm putting Cole Reagans up against Justin Verlander, who I really like, I'm gonna take Verlander. It's like a long track record. Um, I've got like Dylan Cease right there. I love Dylan Cease's stuff. Uh, then you start getting into like Joe Musgrove, Max Freed. Like, I don't know. Am I gonna push him that high? Like where what are do you have the ADPs in front of you, Joe? Like where like who's who's like the would you rather ADP wise when you're when you're when you're taking Cole Reagans? Who are you taking Cole Reagans over by ADP when you so when you take the, in terms of the pitchers within about ten picks of him? You're looking at Justin Steele, Joe Musgrove, uh, Craig Kimbrell, who's a reliever, different story. But Tanner Bybee, Dylan Cease, um, there's also Clay Holmes in there, Walker Bueller, Sonny Gray. Those are the kind of names going within 10, 20 and picks of him. I take him above those last two, but below the first two. So it's like. I might end up with a share. Like I might, I might, you know, I mean, might sneak what, him in, but I, I, if you want me to like bust him above Joe Musgrove, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. Right. Joe Musgrove this is actually a really good point. Too. I love Joe like, Musgrove too. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the stuff last year was a little bit fluky injury wise because yeah. he went to, um, he went to Mexico city and it really inflamed like some bursitis he had. He dropped like a, I think he dropped a weight on his toe. Like, Yeah. It's oh, just man. like you, you, sometimes that, though, you have like a lost year and you're just like, OK, let's just get rid of that year and start over. You know, um, the I actually I think this really showcases how much quality there is. Uh, and in 12 teamers for me, I mean, I've, I've said for years like, hey, I do not want to go for top tier guys. I want to feast like in rounds like six through ten and just get my guys. And like if you're getting like Musgrove in there, too, you're getting like Sunny Grace. Great. I uh, like. This is so solid, especially when it comes to hitters dropping off around that point. I mean, you could you could theoretically in a 12 teamer get what like three or four bats and go Bobby Miller, Joe Musgrove, Cole Reagans. It's so good for your top so three. Good. Amazing. I mean, it's pretty high risk, but you're also that? in a 12 teamer. So, like, you know, pick Throwing up Cal Bradge, you'll be fine. Guy. Best <laughs> slider in the game. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's that's a lot of Cole Reagans. Why are you low on him? Me? Me? Yeah. Oh, him. Yeah, yeah. Joe. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. No, it was it was just like the team context, the small sample size. No wins. The fact that they're going to get better as an offense. I don't even buy into that so much. Like, how much better are they going to be, though, really? Yeah, I buy into it a little good. bit. <laughs> but we're coming from a place where they were so terrible. Did they lost 100 games last year, didn't they? Like, what are we going to be, a 65, 70-win team this year? I think people have kind of overstated the, the growth of that offense to some extent. That's fair. It's very I, fair. I mean, he's not gonna. It'd be very surprising to see Corey Reagan as like a fifteen plus win guy or something like I that. Always I always forget I mean, about wins, but it, it matters. Yeah, double digit wins. I don't think is. I mean, I, as long as he's going every five days, like he should go six innings constantly. That alone will be like cool. Double digit wins should be attainable. Yeah, but just, the difference between ten and fifteen in in like player ratings at the end of the season, I've noticed yeah. it's like massive. It's it, it drives me up the wall. <laughs> You noticed that I noticed oh, a lot with Sonny Gray last year. He only won eight games, and the guy like Zach Eflin, who I adore, won sixteen games. Yeah. That really makes a difference in the in yeah. the way their, their rankings are going to look at the end of the season. With Reagan's, just the way he ended really left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. I could probably move him up a couple of spots. Only the, guys, the guys in that range for me are like Hunter Green, Sonny Gray, uh, Bailey Ober, Chris Bassett. Don't just I'm don't do, over those don't guys. Do Hunter Green, please just don't do that. That if you you want to talk about risk, like yeah, this Green. is the most. I, I kept lowering Hunter Green further and further down just because in a twelve teamer, I just don't want to deal with this. Like it, it's just going to be painful. 
the, the park injury history only has two pitches. Like it's just so volatile. It's, it's the perfect encapsulation of a cherry bomb. Yeah, I and, think I think the strikeout yeah. upside just has me dreaming on a healthy season from Hunter Green. I, I the team context is getting a lot better. They're probably arguably the best team in the division right now. Oh, the wow. park is the park is bad. The, the control is still bad. Like there's always going to be a home run problem for him. But I feel like he could be a three eight kind of ERA guy who gives me two hundred plus strikeouts. Still, I think that's, that's Hunter Green. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I like Hunter Green. Maybe thirty nine is aggressive, but I feel like thirty nine is. I think that's not too bad. Where do you guys have Hunter Green? I have thirty two. <laughs> you don't want to know where I have Hunter Green. You probably have him in the fifties or something. I have. I. It's really past. Like it is at least fifty. He's a stuffed uh, monster. Yeah. I, that's the thing is I actually it, before last year. Entering 2023, I had Hunter Green in my way too early rankings at like 30 because I just saw him. I was like, well, his four seamer is Spencer Striders, isn't it? And what I've realized Striders is a much worse park and worse command. Oh, right. Well, that. exactly. Then I, before last season, I pushed him down to like 61 because I was like, never mind, I'm out. And what's really nice is learning about pitch shape and fastball shape in particular with our uh, PLV pitches app. Uh, and Kyle Bland made that. It's so good. Finally, I have this reference point for this stuff and understanding all these fastballs of old that like I look at it and go like, this should be really good. Watch Green. No, I'm like, oh, you have terrible adjusted VAA. I get it now. Hunter Green has really bad extension. It does mm-hmm. really hard. Terrible extension and really low extension four seamers generally don't perform as well as we want them to. I mean, there's just the idea of like effective velocity in the first place, but also it's just easier to pick up. Uh, and they generally are just worse performing pitches and also turns into usually lower adjusted VAA because they're pitching from behind as opposed to larger out down the hill, um, which then makes it so that they have a better angle to the top of the zone. So that explains a ton for me as to why Hunter Green's fastball is as hittable as it is and why you don't want that for a guy who's not a command plus guy mm-hmm. in, a, in a home run park. Like this is why you're going to have the volatility constantly. We so have I'm, uh, stuff plus I'm has it as a 120 stuff plus pitch, one of the better four seamers. But I I think a lot of that's just velo. Yeah. And when I see those hittable numbers, to me, it's because he's predictable. He's a two pitch mm. guy. So I think that if he could just throw a lollipop curve out there, so not doesn't have to be an actual lollipop, but like if right. he could just throw a curve out there that sometimes when they expect fastball, they get like a curve or. You know, sometimes when they expect slider, they get curved. There's something about anticipation that matters. You know, it's like if you are really a small arsenal guy and they can really keyhole you, there's it can be a really great stuff plus pitch, but they're just ready for it. And they, I mean, they just cheat to it a little bit. I mean, if you don't mind me saying it, but like Hunter Green's vert is below average. So that's I mean, it's 14.8. You want to see at least 16 or so. Mm-hmm. His adjusted VAA is under one it's 0.9 which is again like at average or below it and then the release extension that you want to see like 6.5 or higher 6.3 so all so we've three got those, it's a two it's a two plane fastball so it's yes uh, the bird isn't great but he he has more wiggle than most right he has more arm it's side not run, that right? uncon it's not that different from bobby miller's ha <laughs> bobby miller has great extension uh um and he has more that, that part is different but in terms of like just if you look at Brooks, for example, and you just look yeah. at that that movement profile, they right. both have you know this similar yeah. sort of vert and and horizontal. And, uh, and to me, the poster child of like what I really should care about is is Zach Wheeler, who is just like a lead extension as four seamer, 
and good adjusted vert. And that's like the most, one of the best performing fastballs in the game. He also has obviously command of it. Was green but, on uh, the rundown? No. Uh, green? Uh, no. <laughs> but he's our 10th. He's replacing Verlander. That's what it yeah, is. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Look at Nick thinking outside the box. I... I, I'm curious, Nick. If so, it sounds like a lot of the concerns with Green for you. If he was in a neutral or a pitcher-friendly ballpark, how much would that change the equation for you? I mean, it would definitely to some degree. I, uh, I just don't think that he has the ceiling that we want him to have because of fastball shape and not pristine command. Hmm. Interesting. I. I'll, I'll, I'm going to defer to you, and I'm going to switch Reagans and Hunter Green. I'm going to flip flop them in my rankings for you. Uh, right. Don't do it for me. Do it for you, Joe. <laughs> no, but you're talking. That's a good thing, right? Because I don't think any of us, like Eno said, his rankings have already changed a little bit since uh, since I put this together. It's they're going to change, and if they're going to change oh, yeah. based on uh, based on influence from you guys, I think that's better than just me reading some random article somewhere. Right? <laughs> don't you guys listening? You don't want us to stick to our guns yeah. because that means that we are overlooking anything new that we discover or think about and talking to smart people like i've changed things because i've been talking to you know you know I, I, when i was talking to eric Smolsky, like it stinks because i was saying one thing in october or even like a month ago but like it's gonna happen and i'm really sorry but exactly just keep yeah. talking to us that's all we ask yeah my uh, my podcast go throughout the offseason my opinions definitely have changed on a few players throughout the offseason and nolan arenado for one we won't get into that though let's get <laughs> pitching let's talk max freed max freed i happen to be the high man on I have him at 14, Eno had him at 25, and Nick at 22. I'm a little concerned about what we saw from an injury standpoint last year. He missed time with how he had a blister problem, and he's actually had a, a couple of blister problems in his career. Also, the forearm, he missed time with a hamstring. There was a lot of injuries for Max Fried. I'm kind of just hoping that we can get back to that full season that we have. We've seen him you know, fairly healthy from, um, you know, from the time he was a full-time starter in 2019 through now. It was bad season health-wise. I'm kind of just banking on him being able to throw 27, 28 times in that Atlanta lineup, and then you're looking at 14, 15 wins. He's always been a guy when he's been healthy who's been a low threes to you know even high twos ERA in that kind of ballpark. The strikeouts aren't really there, but he's got great control. The team context is amazing. I'm very, very interested in Freed, and I'm wondering why you guys are, I think, a little bit lower than consensus, both of you, because I feel like the market is going to have Max Freed as a top 20 SP. I might be wrong there, but I feel like he is. Let's start with uh, you, Nick. Um, well, it's really hard to to rank Max Freed right now. I don't know what to do. I think he's when he's pitching, and let's say you said, hey, Nick, he's not going to get hurt this year. He's 180 innings or so, and plus. like I would have him in the top 10. Um, I just think that Max Fried's win totals are, would be really high, and he's not going to be a 28%, 30% strikeout guy. He's more like a 25%, whatever. But he's a command specialist, and it's great at forcing racks like a cutter, the uh, uh, insider righties. It's beautiful. Um, the problem is that he had a strained forearm, which is a tear. And uh, I just don't know if like that's going to last or not. And generally, like, sure, there are times that that recovers. Eno was talking about the other day on the craft was that it takes like a year for us to know if that's okay and you're out of the woods. Um, and I actually originally had him in my uh, risky aces tier, which is where Cole Reagans is at the end. And then I also had him in the shiny squirrels tier, which is right after free, which starts with Yuri Perez. And uh, I had no idea where to put him. So I just put him in like the, the ones where it's, I don't know, safe innings when he gets them. But because I can't expect him to go the full season, it's not the same upside of like Tyler Glasnow and you're going to get like 10 strikeouts or something. Like I don't expect that from Max Freed. 
and the fact that he won't maybe get into a rhythm or something. I don't know. It, it just weirded me out. And I found myself like, look, I'm just going to go get other guys that I feel like are going to be really good and not have the same uh, ding against them. So put him at 22, but I don't know, man. You have the same kind of injury concerns. You know, you had him even lower at 25. Have you moved him since? Yeah. Um, uh, Of MLB players with forearm injuries. Let's see here. I like this. Uh, Subsequent injuries included 37% shoulder, 36% elbow, and 18% forearm injuries. These are major league players. So is that saying like 20% or 25% are fine? Yeah, I guess so. But that's So that's it. So like 75% of them got injured. Get again. something else, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, man. That's such uh, a good stat if that's what that is. That's... 20% of them got Tommy John. Okay, so that's probably compounded, though. That's Yeah, that's I think that's included in the elbow. Yeah. Um, so, oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, these rates of subsequent injuries are significantly higher compared to the rates of injuries sustained among players without forearm injuries. Right. This is a, uh, a piece on, from the national library of medicine, um, you know, peer reviewed kind of, uh, mm-hmm. research piece. Uh, that's my excuse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The, one of the real stories of Max Fried is that he's been a model outlier for a long time. He's outperformed uh, his strikeout rate. He's outperformed his stuff plus. He's outperformed his command grades. He's just been a, he's, been, he's been a unicorn. And I've been wrong on him every year. Uh, I've been consistently putting him in sort of the 30s. And what has he been? 17th, well, 15th, and 42nd among starting pitchers the last three years. And last last year was just, you know, injury, basically. So I've been wrong. Uh, maybe I'm just being wrong again. But this year, I have the injury excuse. Between the injury and and you not liking him to begin with, that's definitely not a great sign. The projections absolutely love him. I, I am a projections guy, generally. And they're really big on him. But they're also, you know, expecting 27 to 31 starts there. So that's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, if he is able to throw... 27 times this year i think that he'll probably return value oh absolutely but that's uh kind of a big question at this point our, our stuff based projections are three quarters of a run higher than the other well ones. right wow. because what is max got a three nine six stuff but it's like it can't be right it can't be right it, it, we project a 22 percent strikeout rate for him his career is 24 he hasn't had the the last time he had a 22.3 percent strikeout rate like we projected was in 11 starts in 2020 but his best skill isn't stuff, though, right? It's command. That's well, we the have, thing. We had a 99 location plus last year. so Really? Wow. I don't think that's been true in the past. That's, I mean, yeah. I imagine we have the same kind of thing of, like, wondering about, uh, you know, when it comes to PLV of merging the two. So does this uh, injury get weighted into the into the projections at all for you? Is that maybe why the 2% no. strike would decline? I mean, it, it actually will because his stuff is probably pre-injury is probably or around the injury is probably lower than usual. Um, how many pitches does he have three no you can't okay so four the change up he, well, he proved the change up massively last year and the year before okay. uh i would say it's five with the sinker um let me see what our i mean curveball and slider are. absolutely in there with the four seamer 
it's not it's not always that relevant uh what the model mm -hmm. thinks the model thinks that he has six four seam sinker change up slider sweeper curveball and it really likes the slider sweeper and curveball thinks the change up is pretty good and it hates his fastballs that's what it is he it thinks he's a bad fastball guy Okay, well, Max Fried, I think I might have to lower him down again. This is part of the discussion. The injury, I didn't realize how how dark the outlook was once you had one of those injuries, one of the forearm injuries. So maybe 14 is a little bit high. I guess I'm just in love with the team context and you know the, the track oh, record yeah. for him. He's one of seven players with an ERA under three that's thrown 300 innings over the last three yeah. years. That's a Derek he, Van Riper special. I love him. Oh, that's yeah. good to have the EVR in here. I. Uh, yeah, no, he's legit to me if it weren't for the injury. Like, I would actually probably have him above Zach Gallon, believe it or not. Wow. But, yeah. I do have him above Zach Gallon, but that might have to be something that I reconsider after this episode. The, the rankings are going to be torn apart after this episode. I'm going to have to redo <laughs> that. Let's move on to Freddie Peralta, where Nick is a little bit lower than Eno, uh, you know myself. 15 for Eno, 16 for me, and 23 for you, Nick. Were you not buying what we saw down the stretch last year for Peralta? Do you think that maybe uh, he's not going to be able to sustain that incredible second half? I'm someone who definitely ranks based on anxiety, and I hate volatility as much as I can. And if I do, I, I do do volatility um, with I with like later on, and I'm all about decision making, right? So. It's easy to forget that last year, like the first two months or something like that from Freddie Peralta, we're all just like, well, he's terrible. Uh, he's bad. Got dropped and, a lot. Yeah. And then uh, then all of a sudden he figured it out in the last four months. And he's very cross body. He steps toward third base. And Freddie Peralta generally has had this routine of, do I have my feel? Do I have not my feel? Is it there? Am I efficient? Am I not efficient? And by the end, he had it, which is cool. He also has a little bit of a track record with health. He also... Increases velocity by two ticks last year that I don't know if it's going to be sustainable. And uh, it to me, it's not as safe as the others. It's just that simple. I don't really see this being a 180 inning season of that kind of production we saw in the second half. I I I'm completely understand. Like, look, Nick, we just take what we got last year completely. I think it was like 3-3 ERA in the end, though. Um, if I remember correctly. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't like guys who I feel are going to go through ebbs and flows more extremely than others. And I just, it's just too anxiety riddled. I completely understand your rankings. It's just not for me. You know, you're not as concerned. I don't think I had the best strikeout minus walk rate in the second half last year. Uh, one of the starting pitchers. And uh, I thought you loved extension. <laughs> I do. I know I do. But I make uh, it so good. I just, I just see a kind of a guy maturing. Uh, he's pretty fastball, but now he's not. You know, now he really has a, a full arsenal. Uh, we've got a really nice projected strikeout rate from him, twenty eight percent. That's going to get him sort of a tier above the twenty threes and twenty fours and stuff. So, uh, I, I think it's just a sort of a culmination of what's going on. The only thing that makes me ner nervous is the innings, but uh, where I have him. I'm not so sh it's more in the sort of 160 tier where, you know, I think he can get to 160. I could see it. You like the price that people are paying for him, which is generally in the early fifties. Does that sound right to you or a little too expensive? Maybe who's he up against uh, in that range? He is generally going around. Uh, there's a lot of relievers in that range, but generally the starters are Aaron Nola, Tariq Skubal, Framber Valdez, Logan Webb. I mean, that's exactly where I have him. Uh, one thing that I will say is that Webb uh, 
is so risk-free for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've been a little higher, I think, than on the market on Logan Webb. Um, and I, I just think in you know, times like these, like if I can buy what I think is going to be 180 innings with so much of it in San Francisco, so much of that change up, you know, so many ground balls, not not homers. Like I think he's, you may not have strikeouts. He's like the opposite of Freddie Peralta. If I could uh, somehow double tap Webb and Peralta, I'd, I'd feel pretty good. You know about Logan Webb. Uh, I think he's going to get more strikeouts. I mean, yeah, you were uh, mentioning to me last year about like how he's, he's fiddling with the slider. Yeah, and the thing is, he still had that successful season last year without really the slider kicking in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely within the realm of possibility that he figures out how to use that slider better. He had um, it once before. He yeah, had a he higher spike array. He had a better slider once before. So yeah. So that that makes me encouraged, and I. I'm generally someone that leans more heavily into whether a skill is legitimate or not. And uh, like that change up from Logan Webb isn't just like an anomaly to me. That's uh, no, that that's his change up. That is what he does. So you're just I more mean, nervous about Freddie Peralta's new, yeah. you know, new improved slider. And exactly. I have Logan Webb ranked at eight right now. I'm yeah. very that's in a nice on ranking. Webb. I'm very in on him. Is that, is that higher than you guys? I have nine. Yeah, it's eight, nine, ten. Yeah, and we're we're all three of us higher than the market, but I it's think just so safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably have nice. to cut that part out of the episode. Fuzzy uh, blanket. Uh, let's move on and talk about somebody who is again kind of all over the place in our rankings, and that's Blake Snell. Eno is the high man at fourteen. I got him at twenty, and Nick at twenty-eight. Let's start with you, Eno. Any concern about location potentially where he ends up uh, altering that ranking to some degree? Uh, no. No, like like where he like where he ends up signing. That's he's not like a strikeout walk guy. I know he had hit suppression last year, that but I don't. I buy him because of all the strikeouts, and um, to me, the story of the walks, which were worse than usual last year, was he lost his slider early year, and he threw his pitches. He doesn't command as well the curve and the change more. But I'm going to say that's in in long term, uh, you know, outcomes is probably good for him. Uh, cause now he can be more of a four pitch guy. He was really becoming a two pitch guy, um, before that. And I think him being a four pitch guy is better. He <laughs> won the Cy Young with four pitches. Um, and maybe he can back up, he can, you know, bring in the slider more and back up the other guys and, and the walk rate goes down. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting what he did last year. I have a three, six, nine projection for him. Uh, and a 29% strikeout rate. He's a stuff god. I I worry a little bit about where he might end up. Not that it'll alter it to a large extent for me, but I think if it's you know, he's not going to Cincinnati, but if it's Cincinnati versus Seattle or something, it's not gonna be that drastic, guess, of course. But. Yankee Stadium, but then he's still a lefty suppressing, you know, those lefty, you know, it's the lefties that kind of bother you in Yankee Stadium. I have some concerns as well. I mean, this might be more anecdotal than anything else, but about is he going to be able to pitch 180 innings again after his last Cy Young? It was That's not anecdotal. I mean, he's he's got a bunch of seasons with 120. That's yeah. I have a 172 inning projection, and I'm staring. I've literally got it highlighted as we talk, and I might <laughs> I might delete innings off of it as we talk. <laughs> Don't say another word. We'll get down to 170. No, it's already it's already it's 168. It just happened. <laughs> um it's really funny actually if you guys remember from first pitch arizona the podcast that we did uh the reason that Eno joined ours for a moment was because i at the time and then this is my early october rankings which obviously are different now 
um, had, I think, Snell at 33. And Eno had, obviously, problems with this. And we went back and forth, back and forth in all of this. And I said, well, where do you have him? He said, well, 28. <laughs> uh, and so, fine, Eno, I put him at 28. And now, and now I have him way higher. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. it's actually kind of funny that it is exactly that ranking that you said back then. With Blake Snell, there's so many ways it doesn't work out. And that's the problem for me, is that there's a lot of explanations for it. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, I was the one saying he deserved the Cy Young. And I can explain all the reasons why the 13% walk rate was by design and how he pitched. And we just put out this uh, this awesome article, um, Kyle Bland, talking about mistake rate, which is essentially pitches in the zone that have double the chance of allowing a hit. And who throws those? And that's clearly why they allow more hits and stuff, which is intuitive to everybody. And Blake Snell not only led the league in the lowest mistake rate, but the second guy was 15, 50% higher than Snell. 3% versus 4.5%, right? That's the number two. That was Yuri Perez. Uh, so clearly his mental approach of not giving in is part of the reason why he had a sub-six hit per nine. Now, a sub-six hit per nine, when you see that, you should know that is not sticking around. It, it really just isn't. You don't see that. Sometimes you get lucky and get like two sub seven hit per nine seasons, but you never see like another 5.8 again. So that's going to regress a little bit. And when I think about the entire season of Blake Snell last year, I remember in the beginning, you're right, you know, exactly. It was, he was trying to do the whole fastball curve slider thing, could not throw the curve and slider for a strike, like just couldn't. And the whole game plan was to say, yeah, we don't like the changeup anymore, Blake Snell. He tried it for like a couple seasons, kept going dwindling numbers with it. I was the biggest proponent of that I was saying stop throwing the changeup it's clearly worse than the changeup and uh, sorry the curve and slider but then he had to like literally he had nothing else so he just started throwing his changeup one game and by surprise it was great all of a sudden <laughs> like it was just so good and then he did it again next game and it was still really good and that pitch became the savior of the year and that is not there, typical is right like like, a, like do with do well with what you've got that day Right. It was then, but then he uh, then actually became like a thing that was good every day, right? With that's with that change. But the thing is, the slider still isn't back. Like it was a sub 50% strike rate. As much as you want to say he's not giving in, like, no, he wants to give in a little more than that. Where a lot of these wasted ones under the plate, um, under the zone, all of that. And the other assumption that I've had about Blake Snell for a very long time is that his four seamer dominates, and it doesn't. It really isn't this big whiff pitch. It isn't this incredible fastball shape. It does get really good vert at times, uh, but he doesn't command it as well as I want him to. And he misses very often, especially to right-handers, uh, arm side up and away, and it's just really wastes poor it. Command of it. And this whole thing is like, okay, if you want to tell me your design is to not give in, have a low mistake rate, and to walk everybody, but you also don't have great command. Like, I don't quite see that being a reliable thing for a full season because he didn't do that for about, I don't know, what was it, six, seven weeks before the season started, uh, into the season, rather. It was middle of May, and then he went off in his final 17 or 19 starts having a 1-2 ERA. Like, what? Okay. Uh, it's You have to be able to take the good with the bad with Snell. And fortunately, last year, the good was, like, historically good. I mean, it was, you don't see it, right? And I'm not going to bank on that. I'm not going to put me myself through that again. Do I think this sounds going to help your fantasy teams for the entire year? Yes. I can't remember like the last season 
where you drafted Blake Snell and he did so well in April that you're just happy you drafted him. Like it just hasn't happened. We were wondering how long are we going to have to wait for Blake Snell to get it together on April 30th last year. And all of a sudden it worked out. It took until I think June, late June in 2021 or to make it work 2022 rather. It took later in 2021. Like he is very much of getting in rhythm and it working out for you. It worked out in the best way in a contract year where he threw more consistently than ever or since 2018. All of these things wrap into a package of, yeah, no, I can't possibly figure out what exactly is going to happen. So we just pushed him down the ranks to 28. Ta-da. The strangest thing for me is despite that Cy Young in the contract year, we're five months into free agency and he is currently unemployed. Have you heard anything, you know, any rumblings about where you think he might be going or any? I mean, I think just our conversation here is probably, you know, then you have to put Scott Boris in the room being like, no, (laughs) he's the best guy ever. He just won the Cy Young. Come on. That was mistake rate. (laughs) 200 million. (laughs) And the analysts in the front office are like, well, I think he's 18. And then was, well, now he's 23. (laughs) <laughs> you haven't heard anything though? No, no rumors recently about where he might be headed or if he might be signing soon. I think that I think that San Francisco makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, maybe not uh in terms of ethos or vibe, uh, but in terms of having other guys that can come in in the fourth inning if he blows up, or you know, if he only gives you 140 innings, then you know, having Tristan Beck to kind of give him a two-month blow or whatever, like um they seem like a team that also needs something at the top right now. It's Logan Webb and Kyle Harrison. And I would much rather have Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell as my number two. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think at least one of those guys is going to San Francisco. Hmm. It's, it's Jordan Montgomery. It's, a, it's the right vibe. Let's hope so for their sake. And for our friends, Bubba and, uh, and Justin Mason, let they get something to cheer about over there. Let's talk about Bailey Ober. Nick and I are fairly close. 34 for Nick, 37 for myself. Eno is lower at 48. Now, I've heard people say he's kind of like the George Kirby light. You know, he's pretty, very similar to George Kirby in terms of the production you're going to get. Strikeout minus walk rate type of of stuff. You know, why are you lower uh, than than Nick and I? Uh, Like, we have a poor stuff number on him. It could be, it could just be wrong. He's a, he's a, there's a little bit, something unique about him in that he's really tall, but he doesn't release it up high. So he has like similar release points to people who are like six inches shorter than him. Um, And so I think that there might be something unique about the arm angles that you get. Like you see tall, there's this guy in San Francisco, Sean Hagelli, who's like six foot 10 and throws like almost sidearm. So like you get this weird disconnect where you're like looking up, you know, but it comes out sideways, you know? Um, so I wonder if there's just something I'm missing, but we have a, a four, two, five ERA projection, a 23% strikeout rate projection. Um, that's not too far. The strikeout rate projection is not too far from what he's actually done, uh, you know, for his career 24, eight. Um, but he has a career three, six, three ERA seems to be beating, uh, his K minus BB has beaten his, uh, Sierra so far. I don't know, man. I just see the 91 mile an hour velocity and that lines up with my stuff number. And I, I hate to be like a basic B, but I'm just like, I just don't, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a guy who says like, it was not always about velocity. I created stuff plus to be like, it's not always about velocity. There's other things that matter. And yet this time I'm kind of like, maybe my stuff plus number is right. Maybe his <laughs> stuff is not that good, you know? And maybe 
he's like a command artist that belongs with other command artists, you know, like your Chris Bassett, you know, Merrill Kelly types. This is where I have him ranked. Hmm. Nick, you're a little bit higher. You're even higher than I am on him. I, what do you think about that Kirby extension? Comp? Seems, like I, seems like I got you thinking with that Kirby comp. Uh, oh, well, the Kirby one was interesting. I, uh, but I uh, know Kyle Bland will tell you we have our appeal of the player projections like or 2.0 now we had like a beta v1 for everyone before um but uh the 2.0 came out and i think it has bailey over inside the top 20 um which is wild i was like what this is this is bonkers yeah extension is a big th- part of it obviously as you know was saying uh i've just i really do believe that his four seamer command is so good and it's because like that also is he's really tall and he's able to just hit that top of the zone so effectively it's the reason why i call him bailey over Rizzi. Um, because Jacob Rizzi used to do that thing of painting the top of the zone all in red and four seamers. That's why I got 50% fly ball rates. And it's good in field fly balls and included in that a ton. Um, those are lower Babips. I think it's he's not really a massive home run guy. Um, and the fact that the changeup is really good. And the way they releases it, I think it consistently means that this changeup is masked a ton, um, especially out of his hand. And just those two innately are, are solid. His slider sometimes is there, sometimes it's not. Um, but what I see, I mean, I call it the Bailey special last year in the roundup, right? It was six innings, about 200 rounds or so, and about six to seven base runners with a strike on an inning. Like that's just the Bailey special. Just every day you're going to get this thing. It's, it's fine. And it has like movement to grow up and down, go up and down. Uh, the Kirby comp is interesting. I get it. I'm not as aggressively. Uh, I don't, I don't really see that happening because I think for us with George Kirby, there's a lot more excitement about what could be be uh what could be developed yeah, i think the foundation that he kirby's has. like more likely to jump into like yeah you know we think the slider can be better three type player the four seamer is a better pitch he also has better overall command Ober's maxing out right now right he is kind of maxing out and i do have worries about ober um and i was actually thinking about lowering him more um about uh you know he hasn't really been pushed 180 before the twins have been kind of weirded out by making him go six constantly and they finally did it a bit last year but then he got into some problems and they shut him down um so it does feel like ober is not ever going to have that seven inning eight inning leash that you really want but he did i think maybe a couple of times last year go seven i don't know it just doesn't feel as overwhelming but i feel at the very least four seamer command is so good that there's a higher floor to this than other guys in like this 50s for me or the even the 40s with a little bit more of a ceiling especially if it gets uh, breaking breaking ball that I really like uh, from Ober. That really will be the full on the true Blake Snell blueprint, which I really feel like I should rename at this point because like Blake Snell doesn't quite even do it as much. He do, he has terrible high location. Blake Snell, it's like sub forty percent high lock. Like no, you're supposed to be like the sixty percent one. What is this? So yeah, Bailey Ober to me is is relatively safe, and that's a cool thing that I go for in my rankings. Is I want safety of if this if I get this floor, I'm happy as my SP four. Right. And then there's like a little bit more to add on to that. So that's one over. Thing, one thing I that's guess. kind of appealing is the is the low whip numbers, right? The mm, last couple of seasons yeah. you're looking at one zero five and one zero seven and the projections are like one point one seven kind of range. That's that's pretty He's damn so good. good with command. He, he does that well. You know, you were gonna you were gonna chime in there or something, and did I cut you off? No, I've got him in a in a bit of a safe tier. I've got him near Jordan Montgomery and Merrill Kelly, like I said, and and Barrios and Bassett, just like a kind of a an oatmeal part of the the rankings. Um, 
I pushed some guys that I'm super excited about, like Brian Wu and Bryce Miller. Yes. Uh, oh, and Shota Imanaga, like above him. Um, and they're they're riskier. So there is a little bit of a discussion if you're using my ranks or if you're thinking about things about like, you know, and you're coming to that part of the rankings. I think I I think I agree that Bailey Ober's uh floor is pretty high. And I, I, I couldn't I still couldn't pick him over Wu or Miller, but could I pick him over like Walker Bueller, who I have ahead of him? Yeah, depending on, you know, like the most recent injury in history, depending on the rest of my pitchers. Do I like feel right. like I really need to get 160, 160 plus innings out of my guy? Then and I can't risk well, babying. If I don't have an IL slot, what am I going to do with Walker Bueller, you know, for the first right. couple? Well, of you're not even going to get him in an IL spot. That's the biggest problem is that he's not going to be an IL guy. He's going to be like in the minors or something. Oh, uh, yeah. Or they're, yeah. yeah right. They're uh, but also with Ober, my pushback on, on you putting him like around Jordan Montgomery is, isn't he Jordan Montgomery, but just a better whip? Uh, I mean, we have even a better projected strikeout rate for him. So why don't I have my head of Jordan Montgomery? We have like the same projected ERA. You should get out of this same podcast. ERA projected ERA. <laughs> and a better mean, projected. Innings? Huh? Innings? Innings. I have 155 for Ober and 181 for Montgomery. So I would actually say that with Bailey Ober, really this is just how I think about innings, guys, is – do I expect like Bailey Ober uh, per start basis in lower innings pitch than Jordan Montgomery? No, I, I think they're both just kind of around like cool. Like let's just say it's six. Then mm -hmm. is Bailey Ober not going to go every five days? Well, looking at the twins, I see Joe Ryan. I see Bailey Ober and Pablo Lopez. That's it. They are going to start him every five days because they have to play games with the other two right. spots. So they can't it's just they, they yeah. can't afford that. So then I'm like, well, why would I project Bailey right. Ober? One or anything under than like 165 happening on air, right? Yeah, 166, and I might, I might bump him, but I'm not bumping the rank yet. I have bumped some other ranks while we've been on air. <laughs> Blake Snell, by the way, went down a little bit. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna use Cole Reagan's, right? Of course, Cole Reagan's actually stayed. Oh. <laughs> All right, guys, we got a couple more to get through here. Let's talk Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta is somebody yeah. where. The main problem with him right now is that his name is still Nick Pavetta. I mean, based on what we <laughs> yes, saw in the second half last so year, true. if anybody else did what he did in the second half last year, it's like Tariq Skubal, top 50, top 70 type of pick. But because his name is Nick Pavetta, there is not quite as much excitement around, and you're actually still getting him at like 170. But what we saw in the second half last year was absolutely absurd i have him at 46 nick at 38 Eno at 51 nick you're even more excited than we are i thought i was ranking him too high at 46 but I yeah i was getting 30. nervous at 50 <laughs> <laughs> nick you're, let's hear it let's hear it on pavetta oh man i love nick pavetta i look all the years that i was talking about nick pavetta back in 2019 actually i wonder if it was exactly the same rank at 38 because at the time i was like you have a good fastball and you just got to get something underneath it like a curveball slider something that you can reliably well, throw. Had a good curveball and well the curveball was good but it wasn't like there always and you would make mistakes he, with this and, and then command it very well right and it was just always so frustrating and then sometimes the fastball just got worse and everything is stupid nick pavetta is finally doing the things that we always wanted him to do it's just it's just there now uh not only does he have this whirly bird which is a beautiful thing. That is what they're calling the sweeper in Boston now, um, which is easily this pitch that he's been searching for for ages. He also has a cutter that to get strikes with too. 
And all of a sudden you have the complete picture that he's been trying to be for so long. It's not like he just did it for like five starts or something like that. Like, you know, this is who he was. Um, traditionally, every, you can even say like August, like middle of August for the end of it. Uh, but he was also starting and not starting with a follower in times. All I'm getting at is there are moments when we want to say like second half numbers or end of the season. And does this matter? The only times that matters. I mean, you've heard this guys a ton is when were there legitimate changes or not? And are those changes that we think are going to stick or, or not? Like sometimes you're just like, oh, his curveball was better or something I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can buy that one, but I can buy adding this new pitch and believing in it and having a completely different approach and having all the success with it. And now he's in a situation with the Red Sox where, yeah, they need him to pitch. Uh, they have like six guys now. They got rid of sale. They got Giolito, who I think Giolito is my least favorite Red Sox starter right now. Uh, you have a Brian Bay on there who's going to get a lot of those innings too. But at the end of it, it's really just a battle of Hauk and Whitlock. And Pavetta now, Pavetta now goes every five days. So again, when I talk about pitchers I want to go for as my SP4, I'm trying to find ones that go 180 innings could go. And do that six innings and 32 starts every five days and have a floor I'm fine with and room for more. And I see that with Pavetta now. I, I just I just do. The only real hesitation I have is the fact that he pitches in Fenway. And that stinks. And I hate that so much. And that's really, really annoying. But I am a big believer in this new approach that he has. I think he has such ample opportunity to go every five days and just be that guy. And he's going at a time in drafts that is just phenomenal. And I have him above a whole tier of just like fine, whatever the oatmeal that you're talking about, you know, and yes, Perlander is one of them. I don't care what you say. He is one of them. And then after that, you have the guys who wish they could have had the second half of Pavetta last year. But we had it. We actually have the things that we want him to do already. And the guys after that are like, Christian Javier, are you going to finish your, your figure out? Sorry, figure out your slider or not? Like, please do it. That'd be great. You know, those wish casting ones. I want Ryan Pepio to do the high fastball now that he's in Tampa. Um, Pavetta's done it, and he did it for two months. And this is who he is now with 180 innings, possibly, uh, for the next year. I'm so in on that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I feel like I should be in on it. The model uh, says he has six pitches. He commands at an above average rate, above average rate which is so weird for Pavetta. That's not what you've yeah. had in the past. What is normal, and Stuff Plus has always loved, uh, his four seam fastball uh, and his two breaking balls, his, his two old breaking balls. Um, so, you know, I always thought he just needed to, you know, improve his command, which he did. Um, and he had the sweeper. The one thing that the two things that make me nervous are, yes, I think that I think that Fenway is such a bad park. I did a piece about uh, how people feel emotionally about about oh, yeah. mounds. And I asked a bunch of different pitchers like, because, you know, Chris Bassett told me the mound in Tampa Bay is taller than everywhere else. Book it. Um, and, of course, I talked to different mounds crew people, and they're like, no, man, we get checked all the time. Like, it can't be taller. Uh, but but there can be, like, sort of an, a feeling of it. And the way I would – that everyone said that, you know, I did a just a, a, a poll where I asked people, which, what are the best mounds? They all said Tampa, uh, San Diego, uh forget i forget i just remember really much tampa and san diego being above there and then boston was worse but when i started asking about why boston was worse they said 
the backstop is really close. The play, the, the fans are really close. There's no foul ground and foul ground is like a real thing, a tangible thing where I could get out as a pitcher, but it also means the fans are in on your face. You just feel like the fans are in the backstop is the fans are here. The fans are here and the green monsters is hanging over your head. And I just feel like it's um, a kind of, this is a weird thing for me to talk about because I don't usually talk about this sort of stuff, but it's like a psychological factor that I think has really messed with young uh, Red Sox pitchers heads. Yeah, that's and a I really guess, interesting point. But is Pavetta one of those? At this point, Pavetta has a run of success. So he has some level has to feel like I can handle this. The mm. other other thing that's just weird for me is that this is not the type of fastball you normally throw a sweeper with. So, mm. um, you know, I know that with Bryce Miller, he has like a high spin efficiency fastball with lots of vertical movement. He throws a sweeper. Everybody can see it. Uh, and nobody swings at. And it's partially because the release point's different and also the mechanics are different. Normally, sweeper guys are like sinker guys, guys with low spin efficiency fastballs. It's 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 your traditional kind of frisbee to pair with your sinker. That's if you want to think about it, people call it slurve. It's not slurve, it's a frisbee slider. And it's it's something that like, you know, maybe Justin Masterson threw a sweeper and paired it with his sinker back in the day because he was a very sideways guy. Um, Pavetta is a north south guy who somehow just added the sweeper that's sideways and it's working. Makes me a little nervous, but mostly it's a Fenway ranking. I have a, you know, a projection that that captures park factors, the four three ERA projection despite having uh, as good of a stuff plus number as Bryce Miller. But Bryce Miller pitches in a park that, you know, makes you want to, you know, get a nice beer and cuddle up by the fire. And Fenway is <laughs> Fenway is like some intense death metal, like you know, <laughs> Yeah, but what if what if he loves death metal? There yeah, you go. Maybe maybe um, he's ready to rock. But it took him so long to like put this all together that I feel like it, maybe it's more fragile than we think. That's interesting. The I uh, I just looked up the release point uh, for the sweeper of Pavetta. Versus four seamer, same thing uh, uh, vertically. A little different, obviously horizontally, yeah, which doesn't surprise. The side of the a ball. little on the side more, but it's... Bryce Miller is five inches vertically and five inches horizontally. Yeah. So, so that a, that's good to hear then. Yeah, that, that's yeah. A, that's a good thing to to see then for for Pavetta knowing that. And but actually, to your point, vertically about the four seamer not being a good general sweeper one, his vert is. One of the highest, actually, the last two years, there are two pitchers who tied for the most verts in the last two years. It's there's no way I would have told this guy to throw a sweeper. I would never right. have thought of it. That's why it never probably never happened. Uh Tristan McKenzie is the other one. Mm. Uh and because I mean I, I see it like how they release and everything like that. It's not the uh it's a better VAA, adjusted VAA for Nick Pavetta's uh four seamer, which is like, yeah. okay, this is all right. Like I could get the I get behind. But it is play. another argument for if you're thinking about sleepers, uh, you know, you've got your Taj Bradley, Bryce Miller types who have great fastballs and haven't really figured out their secondaries. Like, you know, Nick Pavetta is on that on that train where he's like, he had a great fastball, it took him a while, he found the secondaries. The opposite type of sleeper is like Tanner Bybee, who has a great breaking ball, maybe and not as good up. of a fastball. Right. And so they're on I uh, I don't know uh, the Merrill Kelly, uh, I mean, there's gotta be a better yeah. top end guy, but you know, they're more on the, like, uh, oh, Shane Bieber, uh, Max Freed. 
Right. They're on the like, my secondaries are better than my fastballs, but I have great command of them all. And I'm going to mix them up and I'm going to kill you no matter what your stuff, my stuff plus right. says. But that's um, the Tanner Bybee train, you know? Well, Tanner Bybee, I don't think has good command. So what? So long, see you later. But no, I, I, correction, by the way, Pavetta has elite extension, seven feet, mm. but the VA is terrible, which makes sense because he's throwing it really over the top um, to get mm. that 19 inches, 19 inches of vert on his four seamer. That's a great discussion on Pavetta, and that's a great point about the park factoring into it and the mound. It's not something that I can say 99% of us probably ever think about, so it's good to add that perspective into the mix as well. One like more. Cutter pitch. Crawford had a six ERA at home last year. Yo, I love Cutter Crawford, though. <laughs> I know. We like Cutter Crawford. Oh, six ERA at home. That is a tough park. Sorry. Sorry. Oh. What was it on the road? What was it on the road? Like two, three or something. <laughs> wow. Always, always got to say, like, all right, is that random grouping or is it because of the park factors? And probably was part of the park factors. Maybe it was just, yeah, home road splits matter when you're a Red Sox. I think it was in his head. Yeah. That's Alec, think difference. fast, man. That's a huge difference. Let's talk about the last pitcher on the list. And this is one where I'm going with my gut more so than the numbers here. It's Carlos Rodon. I have him at 27. I actually initially had him in my top 20 and then I, and I pushed him down. Eno has him at 36. Nick has him all the way down at 50. For me, it's just I'm giving him a mulligan for last year. He never got a chance to really get going. He was constantly shut down in his rehabs, and there was the back, and there was the arm, and there was just so much going on that he never really had a chance to get going. The other side of that is he still had 14 starts, but I just don't think that he had a proper lead up to the season, and I'm just willing to give him a pass. Even if maybe it's, you know, I'm going a little too far in that regard to give him a pass, putting him in the top 30. But I, I really think that we're just a year removed from talking about him as a top five, top six starting pitcher. And I, an injury plague season is not going to fully change that for me. Nick, you're, you're real down on him at 50. You don't think there's a chance we can see Rodon get back to that Cy Young worthy form? don't think there's a chance. Come on. OK, there's obviously a chance. Okay. Uh, okay. The way I do my, my rankings again, I have to say, OK, cool. Where's the point that I feel like I'm not going to drop him? I feel like, no, we're good. The floor is fine. And then I have my oatmeals and then I have my I think it's the tier is called the hundred dollars in the mall where it's just you go crazy and just go get all the fun things. Because if it doesn't work out, I'm at that point where I feel like, well, I wasn't going to get something else that is going to be a legitimately productive value for me. So Verdon is at the top of that tier. He's the first one. And the the biggest problem I have is saying, well, he had a forearm strain to go along with everything else. He had children in previous years, had a back thing for a moment, too. It was like all of these things. But forearm strain was the big one. That was in March, um, all the way until I think July or, or August or so. And then when he came back, he was never really getting his velocity until two games where he tallied 19 strikeouts com combined, throwing 96 or higher. And then we're like, okay, finally you showed up. You're good. And what happens is final two games of the year. Now it's down to 94. And then now it's down to 93 and change. And that's it. That's the season. And you tell that to me and I just go, well, clearly this guy isn't healthy. And there's more to the story. So what I, I what I believe will happen is March, he's going to be in spring training and he's going to look great. It's going to be like, everything's fine. The helium will go up. I will have to say like, yep, all right, at least the velocity is here. That's already one of the bigger concerns I have. And I'll probably push him up higher. And then I, it's just such a high probability that there is something still underlying that's going to be a problem for him. He's going to miss a significant amount of time. However, if I do see that the velocity is already there, then I have to put him up into like the thirties or so, because the floor at least of production per inning is going to be there. 
I don't know if that's going to be, be there be right nice. now. It would be nice to yeah have a recent velocity reading for sure. Right. And that's really what I'm waiting for at this point. Right now, without that, I can't put him into a place where he, I, you know, I say like, I know the floor is going to be good. Like right now, he could be in spring training throwing 94 and they don't put him in the IL or something. Right. And it's like, well, I don't want that version of Rodon. Mm-hmm. So I want to give him all the reasons uh, to say like, yeah, that was a fluke season, but I just can't right now. Yeah, the back the back is just a weird one for me. I think the back really just sapped his command. Do you see that a fair amount of the stuff was still there? He, like you said, he was hitting ninety six. You know, he was hitting ninety six in some of those games. Um, so I think that uh, it's more one of those small, not small, and back is not small, but one of those kind of non arm injuries that sapped him of command more than stuff. And so I'm a little bit more upbeat about him. You know spending an off season working on that back and, uh, and getting back into, into, you know, it wasn't, um, I think necessarily precursor to arm trouble. So I'm hoping that he can get the back figured out. That's basically my ranking. Cause it, there were flashes of the stuff that we wanted. I'm hoping he's able to get back up there. I was so in on him last year. I think I had him ranked third before the injury was really and then i moved him down to like 20 just kind of hoping he'd come back and then it just it was a disaster it was an absolute disaster who was a bigger disaster last year carlos rodon or alec manoa <laughs> alec manoa, manoa. You, just don't, you don't have something to blame as much with manoa yeah that's fair yeah. guys just, just lost it all <laughs> this has been a lot of fun for me uh it's really great to celebrate this episode with a couple of fantastic pitching minds and a couple of great people as well so thank you again uh, for taking the time to come on today i really appreciate it Congrats, Joe. Yeah, congrats. man, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hey, I hope I get to another 500, and I hope we'll have you guys on again along the way at some point. Um, Book again, 1,000, right? Hey, well, we'll get to 1,000. We're a couple <laughs> years out, but somewhere in the 2026 20, season. We're back season, for 1,000. We'll, we'll get you back somewhere in the 2026 season uh, for episode 1,000. <laughs> but I do want to give you guys just one more chance to let everybody know about all the great work you got going on. Nick, let's start with you this time. Uh, go give Joe a rating review on iTunes. Come on, do it. 500 episodes, guys. This is so much hard work that he puts into five days a week. That's in, that's unreal. Uh, congrats, Joe. And make sure you go do that, especially if you're listening now. Like, come on, you, you obviously love this. Do it. Yeah, I, I, I had a really good time. Thanks for having me on, Joe. And it's always it's been a pleasure getting to know you uh, at, at the different events and at, at Arizona Fall League. And I uh, hope to see you around some more and, and have me on some more. Hey, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know both of you guys. You've been two of the kindest people to me in this industry. Getting into it a couple of years ago, I was, you know, I had zero Twitter followers. I was completely a nobody. And then with the kind people like you guys, uh, I've really been able to to kind of come a long way, I think, over these last couple of years. And that's in no small part, thanks to people like you guys. I'm definitely going to be in Arizona. And barring some crazy event, I'm going to be there every single time I am able to. And hopefully, uh, as I get older and you know get out of college and accumulate some more wealth, we'll be able to get to more of those other industry events, Vegas and, and the rest of it. Uh, make sure you're following Nick on Twitter at PitcherList. Eno, you're at Eno Saris. Eno, you said it off the top, but just one more time, if you want to remind everybody about anything you got going on that you'd like to plug before we get you going. Yeah, we got a podcast, uh, Rates and Barrels. We got a, a, a cool announcement coming next week on Rates and Barrels and got a, a, a podcast with some guy named Nick. Uh, called the craft. Uh, so, and, and both of those don't cost anything. And I reference articles I write all the time. So, you know, you can get a sense of what I'm doing before you take the plunge at the athletic. So 
Uh, you can check those out uh, wherever you find podcasts. Free peek behind the wall there. You got to love it. Go check me out on my Twitter, on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. And we'll be back again Monday for episode 501. Not sure what's in store yet, but we will be here as always. Until then, everybody, take care. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.